So I'm gonna cover uh, soybean gallmage battling a new pest in soybean. And if any of you have heard me talk earlier, this is some of those similar slides, although this is a constantly evolving topic. If you're not familiar with soybean gallmage, then that's perfectly all right spot to be in for this talk because we are gonna cover some of the basics on scouting uh, where it's located in, in the state. Uh, and so to give you a start on this, uh, two photos here, one uh, from Nick Tinsley from Bayer, who was out this past summer, shows a photo of a field pretty heavily infested uh, with soybean gallmage. And I'll just bring up my pointer here if I can. Maybe not. Well, hopefully you can see my pointer on there. That's the photo from Nick Tinsley. The other photo is the orange larvae, which are characteristic of this insect on soybean that you can find at the base of the stem. And there is one other species we could confuse this with, but we haven't seen it in Nebraska yet. So uh, uh, if you're interested more about that particular topic, you can go to soybeangalmage.org and there is plenty of more information on there as we just finished a soybean gallmage series. So uh, to begin the story on soybean gallmage, we think this is the same species that we found back in 2011 when Tom Hunt found it on some diseased and injured plants in northeast Nebraska. And you can see in 15 and 16, we documented this in South Dakota, Iowa, and east central Nebraska. We weren't pulling any larval samples or keeping any at that point, so we're just assuming it's the same species. Uh, you can see there on, on the slide that we had a pretty low level of concern with this. It was late season infestations. Aaron Nigren's the one that called me when I started my job in East Central Nebraska. Uh, it was mid to late August. We just weren't concerned that this was the primary cause of any major issues and weren't seeing a lot of dead or dying plants. Uh, 2018, everything changed, significant injury. Two months earlier than anticipated, a uh, number of states reporting it, uh, Iowa, as well as us in Nebraska, South Dakota, and later uh, Minnesota, and now it's in Missouri as well. Uh, identified as a new species, we don't take that for the notoriety of finding new species. We do it to set the tone because we, we do not know a lot about this insect yet uh, and have learned a lot, but there's a long ways to go. So in 2018, when we first uh, knew we were dealing with a major issue, we conducted a survey pretty quickly, utilizing a lot of you that are probably even on this call to help us find out where soybean gallmage was, simply by identifying orange larvae and soybean, sending us a photo uh, and a rough location of where that came from. Uh, I would say we were pretty panicked this year, so 63 counties didn't actually document probably its entire range that it existed in, uh, but we got those 63 counties in four states. Uh, later uh, in 2019, I feel a little more comfortable, we feel a little more comfortable with this year being sampled that we were probably looking at least in Nebraska at an understanding of its distribution and you can see there that we were up to 95 counties with 32 additional counties and Missouri was added. Uh, and then we just finished off the 2020 season obviously, uh, 19 additional counties identified, you can see in Nebraska um, you know, we're, we're either uh, two possibilities getting really good at finding these in very low density in soybean fields or we're actually looking at spread one or the other. Uh, I'm getting more confident in, in this east central south, southeast part of the state. Uh, I've been through those counties uh, that, that we're, we're maybe looking at some spread. So now five states, 114 counties. I won't talk about it today, but we did initiate uh, a 12-state a uh, study through NCSRP for surveys and identify new, no new states outside of these uh, original five states that were, were infested. So there is work uh, to, to identify the distribution in others. Uh, looking specifically within Nebraska here, this is kind of a detailed survey uh, map. I'll orientate you to the, the map first and the different colors of dots that you're seeing. Anything white is uh, samples that were taken. Tom Hunt covered the Northeast and I covered East Central and Southeast Nebraska. 
Um, any white dots mean no wilting, no larvae presence. We were in a random field, but could not find any. Uh, anything colored, uh, whether it's green, which just means larval presence, but no signs of wilting to, to blue, which you may drive by a field that, uh, you know, has 1% wilting and not notice it. Uh, but as we get into that yellow and red, those are apparent driving by, there's, there's an issue in those fields. Um, and so uh, that's one of those first samples. Oh, it's neat, I got a yellow mark on my slide. Oh, it'll disappear. Um, and then uh, what, what we've been doing and what's sitting behind these, this data set is that we're actually putting these in conical tubes, pulling the larvae off and counting them. And so we'll be doing this for hopefully another couple of years here and, and get some good information on larval abundance. And then if you haven't been following this, sweet clover is another host that we found this on. We're doing some genetic work on it, but we've already confirmed it's the same genetics as what we find on soybean um, and uh, also the morphology through Ray Gagne, who helped identify the original species. So where do we start on this conversation? What does this thing look like? Uh, how do we find it in the field? Where, where to look? We're going to start just at the plant level here. Uh, which is to look right near the base of the plant, near the soil surface, just up to that, that cotyledonary node and blackening. It's not always going to look this apparent. You'll see a couple other photos like this, but this darkening or discoloration of the base of the plant is kind of a first indicator, peeling back that stem. If it's been a while since they've been infested, uh, you may find orange larvae. If it's early infestations, you may find a white or kind of cream salmon color. Um, they're essentially just decaying away the tissue of that plant from the outside towards the end, cutting off the phloem and, and xylem, any movement of water or nutrients. And the result is the plant basically wilts and dies. And that occurs about 20 days or so after we see first flights uh, based on this, some 2019 data we took. Uh, so to give you a picture, because uh, I think it's often hard, especially if you're not in these counties, to understand what some growers are dealing with. But these are just a range of photos from the survey that we were conducting. Uh, just to show you that we have heavily injured fields in a number of counties uh, that, that you saw in that map. Um, and this is not every grower. I mean, you can drive a few miles and then things look perfectly fine. So it's spotty in its distribution. We're trying to understand why that happens. It's this corn soybean rotation here that you're going to see over a number of slides here. This was probably soybean the previous year and they're simply moving back and forth between uh, these two fields. So uh, You've, you've heard about this, you've got problems with it, you're on the edge of where its distribution is. I think this is a good place for you to start, which is to join this adult monitoring alert network. We have about 330 or so clientele on it now across eight states. So just go to soybeangalmage.org website. Here you'll see join the alert network, click in there, put in your information. And what I'm able to do or we are able to do is send you an automated phone call, text message and email when first adult emergence occurs, as well as some information on management and scouting. Uh, there's lots of great videos on there and the whole series is in a tab right below that where you can learn all kinds of things about, you know, biology and other species that are closely related to it uh, and what limited we have on management. Okay, for the next, I would say, couple slides here, we're going to cover what we know about its emergence, the adult emergence, and we're tracking it through that alert network that I just mentioned using these uh, corn rootworm emergence cages uh, placed out in last year's soybean fields. Uh, and then after adults attack this year's soybeans, then from there on out, we monitor them through uh, those soybean fields. And what you can see here initially is overwintering generation emerging from last year's soybean fields. All these damaged fields I've been showing you, uh, this coming spring, we would be placing uh, cages in those fields to track for the adult emergence. We know that they overwinter uh, in those, those injured fields uh, from, from the previous year. 
they emerge uh, over, over a period of time. You're going to see the differences between 2019 and 2020. Uh, and then move across and infest this year's soybean fields. And that's when we start to place cages in those and track adult emergence. A couple of things to take away from here. Um, we were able to document two generations this particular year, but you can see things started on about the 14th of June. We get the odd break here and there across the 13 sites that you're seeing, uh, but they go all the way through uh, until about September. So kind of a continuous adult activity the course of the year. And I didn't mention this yet, but I want to, uh, for sure, North Central Soybean Research Program, uh, United Soybean Board, and in particular in Nebraska here, our Nebraska Soybean Checkoff. Thank, thank those board members. Man, we, we have stuff to tell you because of their early and continued support uh, on soybean gallmage. So if you don't have an issue, uh, when and if you do, um, you know, th this is where a lot of that information is coming from, from their, their support now. Okay, going on to this past year, a little bit earlier of an emergence for soybean gallmage, uh, starting here on about the 10th of June, that was the first report uh, near Louisville, Nebraska, uh, quick emergence across the network within nine days. But you notice this is a lot longer of a period for overwintering adult emergence than what you saw in 2019. And I'll plop up a, a specific slide on that. Uh, but really no breaks throughout the summer here, all the way through until the last tiny little blip of adult emergence um, in uh, September. And to orientate yourself, this orange here belongs with this side, the lower numbers for overwintering emerging adults. And then we have such high emergence from this year's soybean fields. We have a separate axis for those for the first and what do you assume to be second generation. The big overlap in the center here makes it hard uh, to distinguish between generations this past year. So just to summarize a little bit on this, uh, adult emergence, uh, June 14th in 2019, uh, 2020, June 10th. If you're thinking, hey, it's gonna be around those dates in 2021, I, I would strongly advise you just join the network uh, with two years and two data points on this. We wanna be awfully cautious to me. Throw us for a loop next year, but uh, that's been the rough dates. Uh, again, tracking from last year's soybean field, this year's cornfield over to uh, this year's soybean field, last year's cornfield on typical rotations in eastern Nebraska. And then you notice that long uh, duration from 2019 to 2020. We averaged about 15 days in 2019 for emergence from last year's soybean fields. Uh, but unfortunately, this year we're up to 25 days. Anybody who knows working with insects, longer emergence curves uh, typically mean a much harder uh, task to manage these insects in the field because we continually have a source coming in. Uh, and of course, we were active across the network up into Minnesota and South Dakota within nine days of capturing them here in Nebraska. Um, and then we actually got up to 34 days of emergence uh, from, from some overwintering sites. So very troubling in terms of the biology of this insect uh, as it interacts with uh, management. Okay, we're going to step in here for the next couple slides and talk more about soybean development and scouting. Uh, so soybean development, B1 stage soybean here. You could see below the cotyledonary node, this is this particular soybean variety has kind of a purple stem. Some will have green, but you notice no marks or scars or anything on this stem, nice healthy stem. This is an uninfested plant here at the V2 stage, but you'll notice these little fissures or cracks that are forming near the base of the plant, near the soil line, even more so when we move closer. Uh, these are a natural process that, that uh, occurs in soybean. Uh, we looked at a lot of different varieties or, or accession lines. This is quite common, uh, but we know when this starts to occur based on some time-lapse uh, work that we've done, that uh, this is susceptible to soybean gallmage infestation. And, and we know this about other species. They like to 
lay their eggs in the, the, these open cracks that occur. They're not piercing tissue, but laying them into those cracks. And here's a nice close-up of what that looks like. Uh, what this looks like does vary between varieties, and that might be an interesting thing to approach in the future. Here's some soybean eggs right here, uh, uh, soybean gallmage eggs, and then the various instars as well as some orange up here that you'll see from those areas. So for scouting, uh, you could probably guess it by now. This is last year's soybean field where all these adults are coming from sometime early in mid-June. Early to mid-June, they're gonna emerge. And based on timelines, you probably wanna wait. If you're in a high pressure area where you know you have soybean gallmage presence, um, you know, seven to 10 days, that's when we'll start to see the white larvae on there. Uh, that would be a good time to wait. If you wait a little bit longer, you may start to see the cream colored uh, and then death is about 20 days out. But in this adjacent field, this year's soybean field, you want to be right along that first row or two. The, one of the few good things about soybean gallmage is you do not have to walk far into a field to find this. Best chance is the first row into the field. And in particular, next to dense vegetation. So if you have any trees or small bushes or dense grass uh, along that edge that stands out in the landscape, uh, that's a good place to, to focus your efforts on is in, in those particular areas. What you're doing is you're looking at the base of the plants. These two plants are infested. This one is not. So that, that light purple color is normal. The dark, uh, more darker color here is not. Uh, you want to pull those plants up and uh, you want to peel back that tissue and look under there for the presence of larvae. Don't take this as infested. We have lots of other diseases and things that look similar. Uh, so you really want to get uh, close and find the larvae if you can. And of course, as I mentioned in the survey earlier, if you're walking between these fields and you see some yellow or white sweet clover, take a look at it. Uh, it can be a little bit higher in there. In fact, there's one right at the tip of my pointer there sticking out of that stem. But peel back that tissue. If you find any orange larvae on sweet clover, we would love to get a sample. We're doing a lot of genetics work right now and that would be really helpful to us. Um, okay, moving more into the management side of this, uh, we're going to start by talking about a germplasm or genetic screen that we were doing. This was run by Dr. George Graf uh, and part of some funding from North Central Soybean Research Program and United Soybean Board. We got a chance uh, to look at about 768 accession lines, which these are not lines you plant in your field, but these are probably where your lines originated from. Uh, so diverse germplasm uh, available in the U.S. from group one all the way through to group four. Uh, we got this in at two locations. We also had 166 elite lines from the from George's program. Um, and, and what you could see here between Iowa and Nebraska is we eliminated a lot of it uh, based on it just being infested. Um, in Nebraska here, we took some injury scores. So we're hoping to tease out not just totally resistant, but maybe some tolerance that might be occurring. So we got 12 lines left in Iowa that were not infested in 18 in Nebraska. We're already set up and, and getting ready to put this in for 2021 season here. So we'll learn a little more. And here's just a sneak peek of one of those photos uh, from a line that, that was uninfested. These could be very well escapes uh, given you know, that uh, they're all present in close proximity. It may just be a preference at this point, but we'll learn more as we go into 2021. Okay, a little bit on cultural control strategies. We tried some tillage studies. Everything's got an asterisk next to it because we just don't have a ton of data on these yet. We saw numerical reductions with, with spring tillage. Uh, this is one of the sites near Soresco, Nebraska. We also have one near Eagle, Nebraska, but we don't know for certain if reducing the number of adults that are emerging with a tillage application in the spring is enough to mean anything for an adjacent field. So this is one we need to do some work on. Uh, mowing grass borders between two fields, so a source field 
versus this year's soybean field mowing this area. We did that study in 2019, one year study. Uh, we saw reduced infestation in this year's soybean field where it was mowed, where it wasn't mowed, we saw a higher number of infested plants. Uh, again, that one needs more data as well. Uh, and then planting date study, um, which this just shows you the complexity of this insect. We delayed planting and that was a promising tactic in 2019. And then the long duration of emergence that I just talked about in 2020 pretty much showed the opposite. Uh, we could not plant late enough to avoid uh, adult activity. And as a result, it was really plant stage, meaning the plants that were further along in development when, development when soybean gallmage adults first emerged uh, that were higher yielders. So this, this is troubling. We just have to keep, keep working on that. You're probably most wondering about acute applications, things that can quickly reduce soybean gallmage. Unfortunately, there's not a lot in that category either. We saw a slight reduction in the number of infested plants or reduction in total larvae or average number of larvae per plant uh, with up to three foliar applications. I'll show some, some data on the next slide here. Uh, unfortunately, the, the extreme amount of pressure that we got at our research sites uh, really didn't yield a lot of differences between treatments. We saw in some cases no difference from single applications to maybe up to five to seven bushels with uh, three applications being made. Um, and, and again, I don't know if 2020 is the norm or, or if things will go back to 2019 in terms of duration, but I think that's a large part of the challenge we're facing with, with soybean gallmage is, is that and the season long pressure, as well as just the location of where the larvae are at, which is close to the, the soil surface, making foliar applications difficult to get chemistries to them. It's more a target of the adults. Uh, here's just one example of a foliar application that was done. Uh, three different treatments there. You can see the different groups of herbicides by the G, the number, and then whatever group of herbicide it was. No differences in frequency of infested plants, numerical differences in average of number of larvae per plant for this particular site. And then those slight differences in yield, but uh, we're talking three applications starting even prior to adult emergence, adult emergence about five days after that, and then five days later, another application, and then 14 days, another application. So this is a lot of early applications um, you know, for, for that type of difference. Uh, something promising, but with a large degree of caution on it is an inferro treatment. This requires an equipment change, which is gonna be challenging for a lot of growers. I wouldn't recommend going down this road unless you really have a significant problem. You can certainly chat with me afterwards. Uh, this is thymed or forate and organophosphate at different rates per thousand feet of row applied at planting using a T-band. Uh, you can see we, we have some numerical reductions with higher rates with frequency of infested plants, a reduced number, average number of larvae. These are all taken in late June. Uh, and then you can see the yield re response here is, is substantial. But again, there's, there's some challenges in front of growers on, on getting this out. And I want to say don't treat every acre. The, the, this insect is most abundant near the field border up to about 100 feet. And so we're looking at a lot of border applications with any treatments that, that I've been talking about. So there's just the granular T-band at plant. There's a lot of label things to read on this because I don't think a lot of people are familiar with this. A photo of one of the trial sites, the black here is, is checks. Um, one year of date on this too. So we just started this this past year. It's a pricey application. Uh, so you, you wanna be cautious of that. And there are some potential herbicide interactions. It's only group five documented for soybean, two and 27 on corn. But uh, AMVAC who uh, has thymet has just cautioned from using any of these We'll probably tackle that this coming year. With anything I've talked about, always read the label, especially if it's something new to you. Um, and so that's something. And then, you know, of course, just a summary scout, 
no forms of intervention are needed unless uh, notable injuries occurred in adjacent fields and, and management, as you could have guessed, is just going to be difficult until we learn more about this uh, particular insect. Uh, so I'm pretty sure I ran up to my 20 minutes allowable. Uh, thank you for your time and I can wait till the end if there's time for questions or people can type, type them in the chat.